we pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter number 10 tonight. Luke chapter number 10. And um, I didn't get to preach Sunday, so I'm pretty excited. I hope you don't have anywhere to be. And so we miss you guys. We're grateful uh, to be back uh, with you. Um, but, you know, if you remember last Wednesday, we talked about people being tired. We talked about being a tired people who needed rest, right? We talked about finding the Sabbath, right, in our lives and in the Word of God. But this week, I want to talk. So last week, we're tired people who need rest. This week, I want to talk about we're distracted people that need focus. Distracted people that need focus. It's safe to say that our society brings a lot of distractions our way, more than any other previous society in the history of the world. I don't know about you, but do you, I mean, I, do you, sometimes you feel like you're being pulled in about a different, about a hundred different directions. Other people pull at us. You know, I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, God loves you and everyone has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you found that to be true? God loves you, and everyone else has a wonderful plan for your life. I feel that. Uh, do you ever find yourself wishing that life came with one of those do not disturb buttons? Like, let me just cut this off. Just leave me alone. You know, I just can't take anymore. I mean, think about, the, think about your cell phone. Do you have your cell phone with you tonight? I bet you do. Think about all the distractions that come along with the cell phone. It's the single most distracting thing ever, uh, distracting thing ever invented. I know because I get distracted by it all the time, all the time. Um, this give, the phone gives everyone, even people you don't know, somehow they have access to your phone and they call you at the worst possible times. And they've gotten so smart because they use local numbers now. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, 695, I better answer this. This might be somebody I know. Then you answer, and it's like, hi, it's Penny. <laughs> Have you looked at your insurance lately? You, you know, and it's click. I don't know how many Pennies and Susans with funny accents I've hung up on lately. Oftentimes, your phone will disrupt the best part of your day. A few years ago, I used to still use my phone in my quiet time in the morning. Right? I had the uh, version Bible app uh, on my phone, and so I, sometimes I would literally read Scripture straight off my phone, or I would use the version Bible app to keep track. That's right, to keep track uh, of my Bible plan. I'd have like a, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and so I would use the Bible app to track that and keep me on track. But this before I learned how to cut all my notifications off. Have you figured out how to cut your notifications off in your phone? Right? Like Facebook. I don't need to know every time somebody likes something, whatever it is. And so, but back then, I had notifications on for everything. Right? I would have news alert, no, weather alert notifications. Right? And, um, and so I'm sitting there trying to do my quiet time. And then, I mean, like, literally, because I'm easily distracted, you know, I'd be looking at, like, the top five most bizarre things that Justin Bieber wants to eat at his wedding. I don't know. It would just be like so far from where I started, and somehow I would end up way over here. Why? Because of my phone. Um, sit down and dive into God's Word. 20 minutes later, you don't know where you are. Look at this next slide right here. Tony Rinke, he's got this book. I highly recommend it for you. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. 
12 ways your phone is changing you. It's so much that when we were on vacation, Mamu and Peepaw, the in-laws, were with us. And um, I just, you know what? I just, I paid for the whole thing. Amen? That's not true. That's not true. But we, they came with us. We had an awesome, we had a good time. And, um, and I noticed one night, we're sitting there in the condo, <laughs> sitting on the dock of the bay. No, I'm just kidding. And I looked up, and both of my in-laws, who are grandparents, old enough to be great-grandparents, felt like I need to point that out, were sitting on their cellular devices, scrolling through Facebook or something. I don't know what they're doing. Steve was probably playing poker, so I don't know what he was doing. I'm assuming it was Facebook or something, right? You fast forward the next night, even though we took a, a few days off, I still, I'm still working on another master's degree. So I had schoolwork that I had to get done while we were on vacation because it's got to be turned in by like Sunday by midnight. And so Saturday evening, there was a time there where I was sitting there at, at the table and I was working on my schoolwork that was due the next day at midnight. And, and little Marcus, I don't know if he was playing something on the TV, playing on his phone. And then Steve, he comes in and he goes, look at you two on your devices. I was like, oh, it's St. Steve the hypocrite. Amen? <laughs> what I've noticed is the cell phone, there was a time where it was just young people that were distracted by cell phones, right? Now, if anybody in here who's a little older willing to admit how much of a distraction your cell phone has become in your life? It's not just these whippersnappers. Amen? All ages. All ages. Uh, but in this book, Tony Rinke, <laughs> 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, he says the average person checks their phone 81,500 times a year or once every 4.3 minutes that you're awake. Just me talking about it, you want to check your phone right now, don't you? You're like, I haven't checked my phone for a few minutes. I need to check it. Some of you will check your phone eight times before I get done with this Bible study. Look at this. This, is a, this picture went viral. Look at this next picture right here. I don't know how well you can see that. You see the little, the little old, older lady sitting there just watching what's going on and what's everybody else doing. They're on their phones. They're trying to capture the moment, trying to make their friends jealous that they weren't there. And this is a really good picture of how we go through life with our cell phones in front of our faces. Distraction does not produce a happy, well-balanced, or productive life. In fact, get this, there's a form of torture in the Middle Ages where they would tie you up to a horse and rip you apart. Uh, the French called it, it was the French word for distraction. When you got ripped apart, it was the same word for, as distraction. In other words, when you got ripped apart, you were distracted. Doesn't that describe it pretty good? When you feel distracted and you're being pulled in, it doesn't almost feel like you're being pulled apart sometimes. Death by distraction. This one Christian counselor said that distraction destroys, listen to this, distraction destroys more relationships than anything else that he's faced uh, in his practice. He said that distraction makes intimacy impossible because in order for someone to feel intimate with you, a spouse, a child, a good friend, they have to believe three things. The first one is that you consider them a priority in their life. The second one is you've got plenty of unrushed time available for them. The third one is you are giving them your undivided attention. Busyness and distraction make those three things impossible. We can't do it, and I've been guilty of it myself. 
Uh, distractibility, this counselor says, keeps our most important relationships shallow. And that includes our relationship with God. Because many times we're so distracted that what God desires and what God wants from our life doesn't even come up on the radar because we're literally being pulled in a thousand different directions. Uh, Greg McCown in his book, another good book, Essentialism, he says that one of the greatest lies in the modern culture is multitasking. Like you, you think you're multitasking, you're not. You just think you are. And then he said, in his book, he said that for people that work in an office in a cubicle, that they'll check their email every five minutes. Every five minutes. And then what happens is they check their email, then they go back to work on whatever they're working on, but it takes 63, 64 seconds for them to actually get back started because, you know, mentally you got to re-engage. And so he, he said this, an average of 64 seconds, and because of checking email alone, we waste one out of every six minutes that we're working. He says, when I hear people say that they're multitasking, all I hear is my attention is scattered, I feel stressed out, and I'm not doing anything well. I was listening to a guy talk today, and he talked about how important it was to be really good at one thing, right? Really good at one thing, and um, how many people try to accomplish everything, he says, so people move every direction one millimeter, but they never get far. If they would focus on the main thing and keep that the main thing, they could move on down the line. But when we try to be really good at everything, we just move just a little. Now, in our spiritual life, if we're going to live a productive spiritual life, we're going to have to learn how to focus too. Some of you, you do not have a quiet time because you cannot quiet your mind enough to hear what God is saying in his word. So you end up, you get up, you try to have a quiet time, but you get up frustrated because your mind's running and you got a thousand things to do and you've been pulled in every direction. And so you're not even having your quiet time. And so tonight, I want to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in Luke 10, verse 38. And it's the only place in the Bible where the word distracted is used. Now, we've looked at this Bible verse a couple times this year already, and I want to look at it again. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, And now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was what? What was she? Distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus is like, woman, I'm the Alpha and Omega. How about that? Nope. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things but one thing is needed and mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her remember that will not be taken away from her now i want to be clear jesus here is talking very specifically about martha being distracted and this is uh, distracted from him and anything that distracts us from god is not good because the most important thing for us is knowing god and knowing his will for our life but i think there's some important principles that we can pull out about being distracted in general but then also in our spiritual life so take some notes and as scott would say write this down number one being distracted isn't the same thing. I want to clear this up as divine interruptions. 
Distraction and divine interruptions are two different things. Many people get distracted and they try to pretend like it's a God thing when it's not. I put this in my notes so I wouldn't forget to tell you this, but Jesus seemed to be entirely indistractable. He couldn't be distracted, but like totally interruptible. Is that a word? Interruptible? It is now. Okay, Jesus seemed to be, you could not distract him off of what he was called to do. He was indistractable, but then he was like totally interruptible. And like, there's a lesson in there for me, man. You know what I'm saying? One of my, I'm in there studying and one of my kids comes in there and I'm just like, I got stuff to do, man. Okay, move it on. Right? Have you ever done that? I've been indistractable in my life, but I've not been very good at being interruptible. Amber, that's the first time I ever heard you say amen in church, okay? <laughs> you said it with your eyes, sister. Does that, how about you, right? You can be focused, but you can't be interrupted, right? But Jesus somehow uh, manages to do both of these things. Uh, this is not in, the, in your notes or in the slide, but in Matthew 12, Jesus wouldn't let his family keep him from doing what God wanted him to do at that moment. In John chapter 4, we see that not even hunger could keep this man from, uh, to get him distracted from doing what God wanted him to do. Let me tell you something to get me distracted from doing what God wants me to do. Hunger. Amen. Remember, he stayed and talked to the woman, and they're like, aren't you hungry? And Jesus said, uh, my food is to do the will of God that sent me. That's indistractable. He's focused. I mean, one, I shouldn't do counseling when I'm hangry. Anybody ever get hangry? You know, like, well, Brother Marcus, I'm just really struggling. And I'm hangry. And I'm like, quit it. <laughs> Stop it. Read your Bible, get right, get saved, bye. Like, here's my Snickers. Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> Jesus was so locked in God's will that he could not be distracted by not even food. Nothing could distract him. Is it? But then he was also very interruptible, and I want to be more like that. Um, in John 5, Jesus allows his Sabbath to be interrupted to heal a man, which was like the exact, the Pharisees thought that you should never do that kind of work on the Sabbath. And Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted to do that. And he explains his openness to do it. Look in your notes at John 5, 17. He says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. That's just how Jesus lived his whole life. He'd be doing one thing. All of a sudden, some divine interruption come along, and he'd you know, change gears, and he would do something else, right? He taught us to live the same way. Quite often, the best moments in our life come as like divine interruptions. The best parenting moments aren't scheduled. The best witnessing encounters, sharing Jesus, they're not scheduled. People that love you and need you, they don't usually schedule that, right? It's never like, uh, Alicia, it's 2.30, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to have a meltdown at 2.30. You got me for 10 minutes and go. Divine interruptions. We need to thank God for divine interruptions and not meltdowns. Amen? The bottom line is this. Look at this next slide. 
A healthy Christian life is one in which you learn to avoid unhealthy distractions so you can be open to divine interruptions. It is very likely that the reason why your heart, your mind, your soul, you're not open to and not recognizing divine interruptions, the, the, the main things, is because you're allowing yourself to be distracted by so many little things that don't matter. That when this opportunity comes along, you don't even recognize it. It's a nuisance. It's a problem. You, you Listen, you have something to do. You don't even recognize it because you're so distracted by other things healthy the healthy christian life is one in which you learn to avoid all these needless distractions and be open to what god wants to do now number two write this down what are we usually distracted by usually it's the good things keeping us from essential things what martha was doing wasn't bad was it fixing supper and cleaning up I like it when Alicia fixes supper. Amen. She's serving and taking care of people. She's using her spiritual gifts. I guarantee Martha maybe had the gift of serving, right? Maybe that was her spiritual gift. But Jesus' rebuke of her is that uh, let her know that, man, you're doing some good things, but you're missing the essential thing, which was him. That's always what distraction is. Imagine this. Imagine the trade, the trade-off. Here's what we allow, here's what we allow to happen when we trade, here's, here's what we do. Uh, let me just use Martha. Martha, what was it like being with Jesus the other day at supper? And she's like, oh, no, I was busy, man. I had to do the dishes. And old Mary's fat butt sitting over there not doing nothing. She needed to get up. We had a potluck. And none of these, none of these Marys ever bring enough for the potlucks anymore. Then, Mary, what happened when Jesus was over there the other day? Oh, it was so good. Oh, I just sat there and listened to Jesus speak, and he showed me so many things about myself, and I never knew that a man could have this kind of wisdom. It, was ama- it changed my life. Martha's changing sheets. Mary's changing her life. That's how distraction works. You trade something that you only get one shot for, for a whole bunch of little things that simply don't matter and aren't important. And Jesus said that what Mary got would never be taken away from her. Remember that? It would never be taken away from her. I feel like Jesus, no, I'm about to know. Jesus said what he needs to say. But it's almost like, remember that time when Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you? I felt like he should have looked at Martha and said, dirty dishes you will always have with you. Life is short. Tweets and Instagram posts and Facebook and there—it's all that's going to go, man. Whether you go with it or not, right? Well, what's it going to matter if you miss out on a couple of things? It's always going. But this person in front of you that we're ignoring—to look at the stuff—you might not get that opportunity back. Look at this next slide. I like how John Maxwell says it. He said this: "It's hard to overestimate the unimportance of practically everything." Wow. It's hard to overestimate just how unimportant most of the things that we spend most of our time on actually is. And you don't want to let the unimportant things to keep you from the important things. So whatever situation God has you in, you need to be all there. These Bible verses aren't in your notes or in the slides, but in uh, Colossians 3.23, Paul's saying, hey, when you're working, be all there. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, when you're with the people of God, be all there. When you're with a group of friends, be all there. When you're with your family, be all there. When you're in Sunday school, 
be all there. When you're in church, be all there. When you're in a meeting, be all there. In times of rest, be all there. That's one of my biggest problems. We learned this last week. God can guard the city while you sleep. <laughs> right? God can guard the city while you sleep. He's got it. And then number three, write this down. The truth is being distracted often comes from insecurity. It often comes from insecurity. Martha's busyness seems to be driven by a need that she had. And she probably didn't even recognize it. Look what Jesus said to her in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Martha, Martha. I just don't think it's good if Jesus says your name twice. Amen? It's like your mama, Marcus, Dwayne, Kelly. That's not good. Martha, Martha. You're worried and troubled about many things. Many things. He diagnosed her as having an unhappy, unsettled, unanchored soul. She's probably the kind of, okay, this is me, okay? She's probably the kind of person that needed to be needed. Do you know anybody like that? She needed to be needed. She found satisfaction in being needed. Being needed was the main thing, right? The kind of person who only feels significant when everybody else is depending on them. But here's the question for Martha. Why did she need to, why did she need to feel needed to feel significant? Why does she need to feel needed by others to have any significance in her life at all? Why did she have that? Shouldn't the fact that Jesus loved her give her the significance that she needed? But it didn't. Look at this next slide. Martha's looking for something in service that she should only be looking for in Jesus. And trust me, here at Grace, we love service. We love hard workers. We want you to serve, right? But what you may be finding in service or trying to find in service is something that only Jesus can give you. And then also, you know Martha felt the weight of serving, right? Like she, she, it was her responsibility. Like this whole, we wouldn't even eat if I wasn't here. Right? Who, I have to carry this whole thing. If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. I wonder if, if Martha, and this is just me, I wonder if Martha had trusted Jesus like Mary did and sat at Jesus' feet and listened to Jesus if we wouldn't have had another miracle recorded, right? Like the feeding of the 5,000, <coughs> the deliverance of the dirty dishes. I don't know. I mean, couldn't he have done it again? Yeah, he could have done it. <laughs> that's, Scott, that's an, a song, man. You need to write it. Loaves and fishes and dirty dishes. Amen? <laughs> this one goes out to all the mamas. Amen? Yeah, evidently, I think you're Elvis. Okay. Martha's disbelief leads her somewhere that you don't want to find yourself. She, she jumps on Jesus' case. She's rebuking Jesus. She accuses Jesus, the most loving, caring entity in the universe of not caring like nobody else ever came to that conclusion about jesus except martha who's always in the kitchen what what it showed is this distraction this feeling overwhelmed this need to be needed pointed to an unhealthy heart 
an out-of-fellowship heart with Jesus. That's really what it pointed to. The answer, the, the answer to Martha's problem was getting closer to Jesus. And she thought the answer to her problem was getting more, uh, Mary closer to the kitchen. It's just not the case. She isn't even close enough to Jesus to know what Jesus wants her to do. She's not even close enough to Jesus to recognize that Jesus does not want her doing what she's doing. Consider Mary for a minute. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. That means she's listening. And then in that time, and the fact that she's sitting at Jesus' feet, it means that she was being submissive to Jesus. She was submitting. It means that he was in authority. So she's listening and she's submitting. The two things that Martha isn't doing are is listening, nor is she submitting to Jesus. She's not doing, but it looks good. She's serving. She's working. She's the only one around here to get anything done. And she missed out. She missed out. Okay, and so that's what we need to do. We need to listen and submit, but that's not what you're doing now, right? I mean, you are, but real listening and submission, that's going to happen when you spend time with Jesus one-on-one. That's going to happen in your quiet time. Sitting at Jesus' feet means being devoted, personal time with Jesus. And if you spend devoted, personal time with Jesus, most of the time, man, these busyness things kind of, they become secondary. I've noticed in my life, anytime I've had to skip, I didn't have to, anytime I skipped a quiet time or rushed through a scripture reading or, or whatever it was, those are the bad days. It's like, have you ever had a Monday without church at Sunday? Those are the worst Mondays. It's not a coincidence because we're not listening or submitting. That's why Martin Luther used to say he's, on his busiest days, he'd get up even earlier to spend more time with God so that he could walk through that busyness without it destroying him and get him, getting him distracted from God. You need to have a quiet time with God. You need, it's time. How old are you? It's time, man. You need to have a quiet time with God. Like, quit playing. Over here looking all churchy. You need to open up your Bible. I'm going to talk to you like your mama or your daddy. If you're daddy, let's go for daddy. You need to read your Bible and pray. That's how you need to start your day, man. Just have a quiet time. Quit pretending. You're going through this in your own strength, your own power, your own energy, and you ain't got enough, man. You don't have what it takes. But you go have a quiet time with Jesus, then you can get up and recognize God's got something for me to do today, and I'm fixing to go hit it. Now, last one, number four, write this down. Being distracted often indicates wrong priorities. I know that's true in my life. We were talking about the cell phones earlier, right? Like, have you ever gotten on your cell phone and then realized, I've been staring at this thing for 15 minutes or something, right? Right, Alicia? No, I'm just kidding. Alicia's <laughs> like, yes. Right? Have you ever, like, you're just sitting there and you're like, how did I just waste that much time on this thing. Being distracted often indicates we've got the wrong priorities. The necessary component to be focused on what God wants us to be focused on is to say no to things that don't really matter. Matter of fact, to say no to other good things. What Martha was wanting to do, her working and serving, those aren't bad things, but she wasn't saying yes to the best thing. Uh, one of the most valuable things that I ever learned in my life is this. Listen, 
I hope you know this. Whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. When you say, yes, I can have that meeting. Yes, we can have lunch. Yes, we can do this. Yes, I'll join the PTA. Uh, Harper Valley PT. Okay. Uh, yes. Yes. All the kids are like, what is he doing? Yeah. Whenever you say yes to something, what you're doing is you're saying no to something else. So many times when we say yes to something that's not the best thing, the right thing, we're saying no to the best thing and the right thing. That no might be to your family, to your loved ones, to your kids, to your wife, your husband, your friend, just whatever it is. So when you say yes to this, that's why it's hard to tie me down sometimes, man. I'm the way at least she was telling me how bad I am. I mean, like she'll be like, hey, listen, we need to, we got to do this thing and we can do it Monday or Tuesday, 10, 12, or 3. Which one you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because I don't want to get tied down doing a good thing when it might get in the way of the best thing, right? So sometimes I find myself not wanting to make those decisions. But whenever we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to so many other things. And also, this is like, that's like how I want to live my life now. I've really been praying about this the last few weeks. Remember we talked about the 100-year filter? Like, is this going to matter 100 years from now? Then why am I pouring my life, my heart, my time, talent, treasure into it? Because it's not going to matter, right? Is this thing going to matter 100 years? There's enough for you to pour your life into that's going to matter a hundred years from now that some of these things we're pouring our life into we shouldn't be paying any attention to right so i want my hundred year filter but don't do like my kids all right before i left church i think it was last not this past sunday the sunday before when we talked about the hundred year filter and then i was like all right, come on guys let's go get something to eat dad in a hundred years is it going to matter if you eat really and i'm like yes Hush up. Don't be, don't be using my sermons against me. Amen. Listen, many of us are asking the question, how can I get more done? Have you ever asked? Raise your hand. That's me every day. How can I get more done? The real question is, how can I be sure that I'm doing the right things? The right things. Look at this next slide. Success is determined as much by what you don't do as it is by what you do. Success is determined as much by what you say no to as to what you say yes to. And what Martha's story teaches us from the Bible is that distraction in general and distraction from the things of God and who God is comes from an unsettled heart, a messed up heart. And so we need to get our heart right. It may be that you're so distracted and you feel like you're coming apart in so many different directions. It may be a heart issue. Your heart is not settled. Your heart is not right. So I'm going to close, but here's what I want to do before we close. I'm going to give you all just a handful of super practical suggestions. And this first one you've probably already heard before tonight. Look at this next slide. Take at least the first 15 minutes of your day to be with Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? Raise your hand if you heard something similar to that. Do it. 
Man, try it for a week, man. And uh, listen, you do it for a week. You come back next Wednesday night. And if you don't find that your week has been the best week that you've had in a long time and that you feel closer to God, you feel the love of God, the priority of God in your life, you spend the first 15 minutes of every day with Jesus, you come back Wednesday night. If it, listen, if it didn't make a difference in your life at all, I'll give you your money back. Amen? I'm generous like that. Take at least the first 15 minutes. Just challenge yourself, man. How do I say this? How do I say it nice? Okay, we won't say it nice. Are you that big of a wimp? I mean, you can't hold more water than that? I mean, because I'm talking about me. There's been times where I've, oh man, I've got to get going. Oh, I woke up 10 minutes late. I got to go. Like, you, you, <laughs> did you brush your teeth? No, don't answer. I know you did. Like, how hard is it, man? Wake up, talk to Jesus, get in his word for a few minutes, pray, and move on. Don't be a wimp. A spiritual weakling. A little, you're a little spiritual guy, a little spiritual girl, man. It's time to get in the game. Get up to the big leagues. You ever, any great man or woman of God... And you're like, man, you've done so much for Jesus. How did you do it? Well, first thing I did every day was ignore Jesus. As soon as I rolled out of bed, I was like, I ain't got time for that. You got 15 minutes. Spend it with Jesus. I didn't mean for that to be so negative, but just do it. I'm hangry. Amen? It's 15 minutes. Okay, let's go on. Uh, social media. This is a social media thing. Go to the next slide, bud. Unfollow the people that make you unhappy. Right, especially, I put envy, especially people you envy. If there's anybody on social media and you look at their little perfect life with their little perfect figure and their little perfect clothes and their little perfect car and their little perfect kids, little brats, and it makes you feel like I sound right now. Just like, you, did you know, like on Facebook, you can unfollow them without them even knowing it. You can like put them on, you can set it where you just don't see their stuff anymore. And they're like, hey, are me and Marcus still friends? Mm -hmm. I don't ever see you, but yeah, we're still friends. You can do that. You can just unfollow somebody on Instagram. Well, what if they get mad? Who cares? Right? And I believe in social media. By the way, as a church, we do a lot on social Have you noticed we do a lot on social media? And you know why we do that? Because the average church member is only here for one hour a week. That's 167 hours in the week that they're not with us here at church. So what we're trying to do is be an influence where everybody is, and the one place where everybody is is on social media. That's why we're, that's why we're doing that, because uh, the average church member spends a whole lot more time on social media than they do in church. Social media is a tool. If you've got social media, you need to be trying to use it to share Jesus and the love of Christ with other people. Work it, use it, make it happen. And it's even fun sometimes, but it can be annoying. And if you've got somebody in your life that's just making, every time you get on there, you're losing your religion. I got, I'm going to say it. It's like, no, I ain't going to say it. I ain't going to say it. Because they probably watch it. Just do good. Just be good, like on Facebook and stuff. And cover up everything. Wear a head covering. I don't care. 
If, Brother Marcus never likes my pictures. You're naked. That's why you're on mute. <laughs> Me and Brother Marcus friends? Yeah. I don't ever see you, though. So take at least 15 minutes a day to be with Jesus. I feel like I'm confessing. Unfollow people that you envy or cause you to stumble in any way. And the next one, look at this next one. Review your priorities. Ask yourself, am I focusing on the right things? Am I, am I, is in a hundred years, is this going to matter? Is this going to count? Am I moving forward or am I moving backwards? Uh, assess your priorities. What role do you need to fulfill to be? Am I being faithful to Christ and his calling on my life? Am I doing things that's taking me away from God or am I doing things moving me closer? And then the last one again, reprioritize your time with Jesus. Spend time with him, man. Martha and Mary. Martha, busy in the kitchen, distracted. She's mad at Jesus. Jesus, don't you even care? She needs to get up and get in this kitchen and help me. Jesus. Then Mary, sitting at the feet of Christ, hanging on his every word. Like, I want to be Mary. Alicia knows that. I'm never in the kitchen. But listen, I want to be Mary in a very real spiritual sense. Right? I don't want to be Martha, distracted by everything and every little thing and not focused on the right things. Reprioritize. If, you've, if you spend time with Christ daily, man, make sure it's a priority in your life. If you're not, start, man. Just challenge you. Just take it as a challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. And say, I can do it. I can spend time with Christ. Help me to stop being distracted from all the things the world is throwing at you. Because the world is going to throw, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're going to throw a lot of distractions your way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and be dismissing a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, forgive us for being so distracted and getting off our goal of following you and being fully surrendered to you. Lord, if there's anything in my life, is there any, if there's anything in our life that's keeping us being fully surrendered, fully devoted followers of Christ, God, I just pray that you would reveal that to us and that we would repent of our sin, ask you to forgive us, and draw closer to you. Father, we thank you so much for people that serve and that work. God, here in our church family, we're so grateful. Lord, most of all, we want to make sure that each and every one of us, that we're serving you. Lord, we love you. Thank you again for the time that we've spent together. Lord, again, be with all those who are gone and traveling, those in the path of the, the hurricane. and It's just Lord, all of that. Be with them and, and, Lord, love on them in a special way. And bring our, our church family back home safe to us. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.